The 100th episode Live News Weekly will be held on January 19th, 7pm at the Comedy Republic in Melbourne. Tickets will be available soon and I'll announce them here as soon as they are, of course. Patreon subscribers will get early access plus discounts. So become a subscriber by going to patreon.com slash Sammy Shah. That's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H to support this podcast. Top stories of the week. Things getting worse every day in every way. All that and more on News Weekly. Hello and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Hold me as we plummet towards World War Three. news now. <sighs> yeah, I guess we have to talk about Israel and Gaza and the complete nightmare that all of it is. In the last week, there's been a hospital bombed either by Israel or Hamas, a humanitarian crisis due to lack of water and power, more innocent civilians dead than even the most nihilistic estimates predicted, and all of it continuing to hurtle forwards along a path slick with bodies and blood to an end goal that no one is sure of anymore. There are claims of various news outlets lying. Everyone on social media is definitely lying. Israel is probably lying a little bit. Hamas is definitely lying a lot. America is lying. Lebanon and Egypt are lying. You're lying and I'm probably lying. Let's stick to the few verifiable facts that we do know. Hostages. Remember them? Remember the hostages? No one else seems to. This all started when Hamas, after conducting raids that killed 1,400 people at a music festival and kibbutzim, took at least 200 hostages on October 7th. Now, some people will argue that this actually started in 1917 when the UK Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour issued a declaration which supported a home for the Jewish people. And that went about the same way everything else the British did in the early part of the 20th century, which has made a massive fucking mess of the rest of the world, which we're all dealing with even today. The others actually argue that this started in 733 BCE when Jews were exiled from the Kingdom of Israel by Tiglath-Pileser III. But that might be going a bit too far back even for our purposes, so let's just stick to October 7th. So, what about those hostages? Hamas took over 200 into Gaza. What's happening with them? And yes, I know I can already hear some of you saying, oh yeah, you care about Israeli hostages, but not about Palestinians in Israeli jails. Some of them are children, aren't they hostages? What about those killed in Gaza? Or, or I'll get to them. I will. One thing at a time. Just slow the fuck down. Let me do this my way. Okay, so the hostages. The citizens of Gaza are, of course, not the only people at risk right now in Gaza. So are the more than 200 hostages, Israelis and Americans among them, imprisoned by Hamas in a series of underground tunnels, probably split up into different groups. The effort to free those people safely is another top priority. Now, the whole point of taking hostages is to then barter them for something you want. You being the hostage taker in this case, not you, the listener, of course. Uh, So what does Hamas want? For Hamas, those 200 people are leverage. To gain what exactly? That's still unclear because it keeps moving the goalposts when asked what it will take to secure the release of those innocent people. In fact, in just 48 hours, top Hamas officials have made a multitude of different demands. Stick with me here because, again, you're going to think this doesn't add up. 
it doesn't add up. The head of the Hamas diaspora office, as it's called, telling Sky News Monday that hostages would be released if Israel agreed to release 6,000 Palestinians detained in Israeli jails. Then, early this morning, a complete contradiction from the militant group's official spokesman who said there would be no plans to release hostages at all because, quote, it is a war. Hours later came another contradictory claim, this one made to NBC News, in which a top Hamas official claimed it would release all civilian hostages immediately if, quote, the bombing stops in Gaza. Now, some would argue that if you're planning on taking hostages, then maybe have a plan in place for what to ask for in exchange for those hostages. But then I don't know, I've never committed a terrorist attack on civilians that I'm aware of, so who am I to criticize? Now, if Hamas seems to have forgotten they have hostages, you can't really blame them because they aren't the only ones. Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, one week after the Hamas attack claimed to have spoken to those, quote, who lost their loved ones or whose fate is unknown, Except Israeli news media couldn't find a single family member of a hostage he had spoken to. He was probably avoiding them because the day after he made that statement, families and other protesters gathered outside the Israeli Defense Ministry in Tel Aviv. Bibi is a murderer. That's what the people behind me are chanting. Bibi is a murderer. So high here, the people are blaming Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for getting into this mess, for thinking about his own political situation for the past number of years, and not about protecting the citizens of the south of this country, not about increasing security, and not thinking about dealing with Hamas in any other way than just allowing them to exist and then, you know, bombing them, bombing them every once in a while. Um, that there has been no strategic plan. It's been keeping a status quo that is untenable. That's what these people have been complaining about. Well, he finally did remember why he had ordered the carpet bombing of Gaza and met with some representatives of the Hostages and Missing Families Forum. Except, according to two newspapers, the Times of Israel and Haaretz, a man who claimed to be a relative of a hostage began praising Netanyahu and saying he trusts every decision the Prime Minister makes. That man, it turns out, has no family members who are hostages, is actually a far-right activist who is related to Netanyahu himself, and his wife organised a counter-protest to the one in Tel Aviv to scream abuse at the families of hostages. Meanwhile, as those families continue to hope and pray for their loved ones who are hidden somewhere in Gaza, the Israeli military is continuing its tried and true method of negotiating their release by dropping more bombs on Gaza than the US dropped in the entire war in Afghanistan. As of this recording, those Israeli strikes have killed 3,785 Palestinians, according to the Gaza Health Ministry, with 12,492 wounded. 1,524 of those killed were children and 1,000 were women, which definitely won't result in the cycle of revenge and demanding blood for blood continuing. Who is to blame for that death toll is continuing to be debated, however, mostly on social media, which is the perfect place to have these kind of conversations. That debate went particularly berserk after Al-Ahli Hospital in Gaza exploded, killing 471 people. Hamas blamed Israel. Israel blamed Hamas, and who you believe depends on which side of the Israel-Palestine conflict you subscribe to at birth, and that's never going to change. Israel's blaming of Hamas can be taken with some skepticism, as highlighted in this report by British news outlet Channel 4. And Israel has form when it comes to war propaganda. Its claims about not being responsible for shooting dead British filmmaker James Miller in Gaza 20 years ago were widely dismissed, not least by a British court. Israel denied shooting dead Palestinian-American photojournalist Shirin Abu Akleh last year, only to backtrack later 
on admitting they probably did kill her. Just two examples from a long track record. Israel has provided evidence of Hamas's and Islamic Jihad's involvement, but that is either concrete proof or an amateur theatre performance, depending on who you ask. They present what they say is two Hamas operatives talking about the attack. Hamas call this an obvious fabrication. Two independent Arab journalists told us the same thing because of the language, accent, dialect, syntax and tone, none of which is, they say, credible. The BBC and Channel 4, along with many other actual experts and not your friend who saw a post on Insta that totally proves it, have pointed out that the size of the crater left by the explosion and the level of rubble rules out a typical Israeli strike, which means it could be a Hamas rocket misfiring or an Israeli airburst. Further analysis also, oh my God, what fucking world are we living in? At this point, it's clear who is to blame for this. Both of them. Yeah, I fucking said it. Both. Hamas and Israel. Hamas for starting this off with their attack and then firing rockets that never do anything except result in a massive retaliatory response each and every time. But for some reason, they insist on sticking with their stupid strategy. And Israel for always responding to everything, every single problem, every time with a kind of bombing campaign that causes so much collateral damage, a US drone operator blowing up a village in northwestern Pakistan would get envious. Fuck everyone's theories. Can we all just pause for two seconds to agree, this is a massive goddamn tragedy and a ceasefire would be the best way forward? What's not in dispute is that there were a very large number of casualties according to Palestinian officials. Mostly, we think, of people who've been sheltering in the hospital from Israeli airstrikes, sleeping on the grass here. To establish the exact truth of what caused them, you'd need an independent investigation. But that's not going to happen in what is an active war zone. That's the BBC, which has several detailed videos about how there's no compelling evidence to blame either side, which, of course, didn't stop Joe Biden from jumping to Israel's defense. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. Biden claimed he saw evidence proving it was Hamas, but didn't produce that evidence, probably because it was in the same folder with the footage of beheaded babies he saw last week. He also compared the attack on Israel to several 9-11s. For a nation the size of Israel, it was like 15 9-11s. Makes you wonder what all the fuss was about on 9-11 then. They only had one 9-11 to deal with. America then showed just how much it cares about ending this war and saving as many civilians as possible. UN Security Council has failed to pass a draft resolution calling for a humanitarian pause in Gaza. Brazil had sponsored that draft. Yeah, the Security Council had been negotiating on this draft for since Friday uh, when Brazil first started working on it. Uh, it got 12 votes, but the United States vetoed it. Uh, the only vote against it came from the United States. There were two abstentions, Russia and the United Kingdom. Uh, but again, 12 votes in favor. It would have passed had the United States not 
wielded its veto. Meanwhile, while Israel fears a second front opening on the attack on it from Lebanon if Hezbollah gets involved, it's also working hard to open a second front of attack on Palestinians in the West Bank by letting its settlers get involved. At least 61 people, including children, have been killed in the occupied West Bank since October 7th when Hamas launched its unprecedented surprise assault on Israel, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health there. More than 1,250 have been injured. And just last week, armed settlers attacked an apartment, leaving four Palestinians dead. So with no end to the conflict in sight, barely anyone remembering this was ever about hostages, except for the hostages and their families, both sides blaming each other for explosions while they fire explosives at each other, at least it can't get worse. Which is probably why, according to the Times of Israel, Israel's foreign minister Eli Cohen told their army radio, quote, At the end of this war, not only will Hamas no longer be in Gaza, but the territory of Gaza will also decrease, which definitely will not fuel paranoia about Israel using this as an excuse to grab more Palestinian land and result in more fierce resistance from Palestinians. Biden's right, this really is like 15 9-11s in that everyone is making the same bad choices they made after 9-11, but 15 times worse. You made Tony Abbott happy news now. As predicted, the referendum to give First Nations people a voice to Parliament lost, with the no vote leading 60% to yeses 40%. Some analysts have argued that the yes campaign failed to cut through to the average Australian, while this analyst thinks the average Australian is a dumb racist piece of shit who can go fuck themselves. No, not everyone who voted no is a dumb racist piece of shit, but yes, every dumb racist piece of shit voted no, so that's the company you're keeping. Speaking of dumb racist pieces of shit... Another referendum appears off the agenda. Despite promising voters they'd get another shot to recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the Constitution, Peter Dutton has now retreated from that plan. But I think it's clear that the Australian public uh, is probably over uh, the referendum process uh, for some time. Really? They're over the democratic process? They're over voting? Over getting to express how much they dislike Indigenous Australians while also getting a sausage sizzle? I doubt that. Many in the Yes camp blamed the increased polarisation and conspiracy theories from the No camp for the failure, like Greens leader Adam Bant and Teal independent Zali Stegall here. We saw a campaign led by Peter Dutton's Liberals that Donald Trump would be proud of. If the minute the opposition decided to make it political, to name the proposal from the Uluru Dialogues as being Albo's voice, was the moment at which this became a political attack. Here's the thing, I actually don't agree with them. I don't think majority of Australians were convinced to vote no because of conspiracy theories on social media about Indigenous people taking their backyards, nor were they impacted by Sky News and Peter Dutton. If that was true, Sky News would have more viewers than just your parents, and Peter Dutton would be ahead in the polls for preferred Prime Minister. I actually think 60% of Australians understood the issues, did some thinking about the outcome, and then voted no because they felt it was the right thing to do. Which, to be honest, is much worse. So just to be clear, based on the last two referendums, we do want inbred German royals to continue having their chinless faces on our money, and we don't want indigenous people to have anything that might improve their circumstances. Just clearing that up. 
that's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. By the way, if you want more of me doing new satirical content, I'm over on The Bugle this week. The Bugle is probably the reason why I got into new satire in the first place. It's hosted by Andy Zaltzman. It's probably the funniest new satire podcast in the world. And uh, I got to be a guest on it this week talking about pretty much the same topics you just heard about over here, but in greater detail with more ranting. Oh, also one more quick announcement if you're still listening. Um, I am not doing a News Weekly for the next two weeks. Uh, next week, I'm in Adelaide for the Oz Asia Comedy Festival. Um, and then the week after that, I'm back in Adelaide again to curate the In Other Words Oz Asia Festival. Uh, so that's two weeks that I'll be in Adelaide and I'll be working, so I won't get time to do News Weekly. So News Weekly will be back on the 10th of November. Uh, so I'm very sorry about that. No episodes for the next two weeks. Uh, hopefully you heard this announcement in time and are not confused. So just remember, I'll be back here on November 10th with another News Weekly, punching the news in the headlines weekly after two weeks. <laughs>